so um good afternoon to all my listeners this is the next up podcast so on this podcast we interview esteemed individuals so we can learn up so we can learn different skills uh as to how we can be successful so today i'm interviewing dr mount good evening good afternoon dr mount um how you doing i'm doing great thanks so much for inviting me to be a part of your podcast yeah thank you so much for being a part of it so um, for my first question, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist, and I also specialize in the area of um, uh, clinical neuropsychology, where my work focuses on assessing brain functioning using various types of tests to determine how intact um, your cognitive and thinking skills are that's very very interesting and i also provide uh psychological counseling those types of things as well as providing uh, training opportunities to students who are trying to go in various areas of the mental health professions uh, that's 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 interesting so what kind of got you into this uh field of study so it started back for me as early as high school <clears throat> when I was taking a psychology course and uh, the guy who was teaching the course was one of my football coaches and he really inspired me and uh, I wanted to be like him. And so when I went off to college, I continued in uh, uh, coursework surrounding around uh, psychology as, as, as well as sociology and um, started getting some more training experience and it just kept me going on to further my education to secure my doctorate degree to now ha- um, you know having uh, worked in the medical school setting and now having my own uh, practice at the Mind Body Institute beyond. Yeah that's, that's really neat and I think you know just that your story really speaks to the importance of um, mentorship and just having people to kind of guide you and really kind of um, inspire you to uh, try out different things. So that that's really, really neat. No, absolutely. And so, you know, um, I operate from this to whom much is given, much is required. So as those individuals who gave so much to me to inspire me to move and uh, the direction I did, I now try to do that for people who have interests and expectations um, and curiosity about the world of mental health. I try to make sure uh, my company provides those training opportunities so that they can successfully navigate and hopefully be retained in the profession and do great work in the years to come. Right, I think that's, that's a great mission, a very admirable mission. Um, so my next question would be, uh, did you face many challenges in this field? And if so, what were they? Yes, I um, experienced several challenges that created opportunities because oftentimes when we talk about challenges, we tend to think about them in terms of negative. Right. But often, if, if you really flip it, a challenge can be a blessing if you see yourself through it. And so... For me, um, going into the area of clinical psychologists, uh, psychology, there were not many, um, it's not an area that many black males go into. And also coming from a community 
that may not have valued that type of work and may have stigmatized it. So um, there were at times some expectation um, conflicts, you know, that I would not go in this particular area, um, may not have gotten the, the kind of positive support that I needed from my community. But what I later realized, um, people oftentimes can't, uh, may ha have difficulty supporting something they don't understand. And so it then became a part of my life pursuit of building that area of mental health, education, and literacy and awareness, which now we talk about uh, very much in, the, uh, in communities of color. And so that challenge that was given to me, it made me really think about my own identity and, um, you know, and the value proposition I could bring to a profession, not only being uh, black, but being male. Right. And, um, and also not only being black and male, but coming from the South. And so it, I, I was able, and I have been able to bring a, a point of view that's, that's, you know, spans, uh, you know, race, ethnicity, uh, culture and religion. And so that, that's been, um, what I like to think about as my dynamic positioning. Um, and I think it end up, ends up serving me well in terms of the people I work with. Right. So that was, that's a great answer. And it actually kind of tied into a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but which was just like, how do you kind of, um, fight back against that negative stigma around mental health? Because like you said, you know, being a black man, usually if they're, if we're into athletics and in the South, I mean, we're taught to, you know, be tough about everything, not showing any emotion. You know, if we feel any type of internal pain to kind of like bury it under us. But I, I think that you just made a great point of why it's so necessary to do that because I mean, that's, you know, taking years off of our life and honestly, just transporting that baggage down to our, um, you know, our offspring and our future generations. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that type of baggage, um, can become, uh, if you're not careful, a generational transmission. Right. And so at some point we have to be cognizant enough, aware enough of the need to unpack all of those belief systems that oftentimes poured into you and start to ask new questions. Well, is this really relevant and real for me? And if it's not relevant and real for me, do I have the courage and wherewithal to unpack it, um, re-examine it so I can use it as fuel to get me down the road, right? Because some, oftentimes, belief systems can be superimposed upon you that you had nothing to do with. And those, those negative belief systems can, um, can have a certain type of intentionality being weaponized. So we start to say, well, for instance, black men don't go to therapy. Well, when you start to unpack it, it's not that black men, for instance, don't go to therapy. It may very well be black men can't find culturally appropriate therapists to work with them. That is, they can't find other men who look like them that they may feel more comfortable with because 
those men who might have been in position to uh, to pursue education to be in that position, they were distracted, persuaded away from that line of work. Right. So mm-hmm. It's it's, but then maybe corporate social media transmit the idea that no, we're afraid of it, we don't believe in it, all the negatives. When what we really need to deal with is are we supplying a profession with enough diversity so that diverse communities can have people in those professions who look like them, understand their point of view, and can make them feel validated around those issues that others may try to make, try to minimize. That is, when I'm stressed and frustrated as opposed to saying man up, maybe if I have the right type of cultural messaging I then start to shift and say, no, being proactive about my health and well-being is making sure my mental health is at peak performance. Because when I'm depressed, it affects how I think about every aspect of my life. May it be my educational goals, may it be my social goals, may it be my financial goals, may it be my spiritual goals. When my mental health is not in a good place it undercuts all those quality of life factors that we hope to be operating and achieving at an optimal level right i mean i think that's that's a great point and i think you know like what you were saying about having more faces that look like you i think that just goes for everything and that really that really sculpts you know our idea of one, is this an area I feel like I can see myself working in? Is this right. an area I see I could get help in? I, I think that that's just huge because I think oftentimes today, um, a lot of our young black men, you know, just see ourselves either being athletes or, you know, musicians. And, you know, that's a very uh, narrow scope of, you know, what we can become. So I think that it's just imperative that, you know, we see ourselves as lawyers, doctors, you know, going to therapy, being, you know, uh, physicians, I think that's just it's important for us to see that because you're you're completely right. I mean, I think we can't truly address you know how our problems are or what our problems are and what we're dealing with with someone that we don't feel like is either listening to us or someone we can relate to. So I, I think that's that's a great message and a great you know word. Yeah, you know, yeah, and if I could just piggyback off what you said, that's why you know, like in my opinion, why you know we look at the domain of education and academia. That's why it's important to have diverse faces at the front of the classroom so that those folks who sit in the seats can feel inspired, you know, believing that I can achieve these things because that person in front of me, they've achieved it. You know, it, it harkens back to the importance right now of the 50th anniversary of Title IX as it relates to sports and what, what that's meant for women and having access to the same opportunities men have, you see? And many will ask them, well, did you ever imagine that you could be at that point? Some would say, no, I could not have imagined it because I didn't see it. But now that younger people can see it, they can truly imagine this and all of its possibilities. But taking it a step beyond just imagining something, you can imagine something, but then you also need vehicles around you to help you stretch 
and drive that imagination and give you the opportunity to explore your imagination. Whereas you're not suffering for, from what some call opportunity cost. That is because I don't believe I can do something or I haven't received that type of encouragement, that opportunity that's right in front of me, I will walk away from it because it does not feel like something I can grasp. It doesn't feel like something that's real for me. It doesn't feel like it. that's something that creates a sense of, of, you know, acceptance and inclusion because I don't see the diversity in it. So I end up minimizing it so I don't take full advantage of what appears to be an opportunity that could be advantageous to me because everyone around that situation looks nothing like me. Exactly. I mean, I think that just speaks to our overarching point of that diversity matters. I mean, you need, it's 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 very crucial to see other people that look like you, who maybe they didn't have exactly the same you know upbringing or experiences, but you have something in common. Like there's something that you you know you can relate to on some levels, and I think that just brings a sense of ease to you know clients you know talking with another professional because it doesn't feel like we're just on these, we're just polar opposites on these different sides of the spectrum. Exactly, that's exactly right. And, you know, for my work, if I want people to truly explore their vulnerabilities, they have to trust that I won't exploit their vulnerabilities. Right. If I come to the situation with a history of exploitation of my vulnerabilities by some person who now sits in a seat that I'm supposed to talk to, well, guess what? I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to shut down and I, w- I will not pursue that. I will not pursue it because I cannot trust it. It's oftentimes the elephant in the room that will frequently go unconfronted. And so when I'm, I must tell you, when I'm working with anyone from a cultural specific standpoint or a cultural diversity standpoint, I'm always focusing on the fact that you may come to the table, the hour that you're meeting me in with certain beliefs that we need to talk about so we can facilitate our rapport and trust building so that you're not hanging in the balances of threat of exploitation threat of humiliation, threat of um, insensitivity. Right. So so to to be very intentional about addressing those factors, because if I'm perceived to come from a a particular socio-demographic position and my patient is not from that particular socio-economic position, Although we may share a cultural history, it may be perceived as though we're different because we may come from different socioeconomic strata. And so to actively talk about that is very beneficial. Right, and I, I think that 
that goes even beyond just the work life. I think that this goes into like uh, public school because I know that's that has been a thing for me. Obviously, you know, public school lends itself to bringing in, you know, students from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And even if you are, you know, of the same um, race or ethnicity, you, you may have completely different lives. And I think in order to connect, that just takes the time that just takes, you know, getting to know them and truly learning their story and really being open. It just takes, you know, getting to know that individual for who they are and you know, just taking that time to listen to what they have to say, because I think a lot of times through um, therapy and really trying to help people, they just assume that they always need to talk and tell them one thing, like, this is what I think you should do. And this is how I think you should cope with it. I think a, a lot of help can come from just hearing what people have to say and telling them that, you know, you have the right um, to feel that way. And I'm here to help you in any ways that I can to deal with that. You are spot on. Oftentimes, at any point in our life cycle, each and every one of us is seeking a type of validation, a type of assurance. We struggle from day to day with uncertainty, all of us, from no house to the White House. Uncertainty covers us like a blanket and depending on what we're doing in life and how we're doing it where we're doing it at it comes with uncertainty you don't know what you don't know and sometimes we need space and opportunity to say yes I feel uncertain about this and I'm going to try to find a sense of comfort in my uncertainty and I tell people hey we can't do, get this battle won by ourselves. We need a team of individuals and we need different people to play different roles on our team. And we, did, and we need different types of team circles at different points in our lives that have to be refined and made additions to and also subtracted from. Quite normal. What ends up happening is that we allow the voices of negativity to take up so much real estate in our minds and we just need the opportunity to say you know what i can overcome this i can work through this i know how to seek out wise counsel because no one gets up the hill by themselves and so in counseling that type of conversation around reality testing is so important because we can get, get in what I call the spin cycle and talk ourselves out of things, talk ourselves into things, and at times not be sure why we're even talking to ourselves in the first place. And so just to have a space where you can just, you know, let it out, it's so valuable. I tell people, I don't do counseling, I do coaching. Because what we, at the end of the day, many of us are trying to seek strategies for how to become better performers in life. Right. Performers, you know, we, it's all, of, it's about that perform. What, what are we doing? What, what are, where are we trying to go? That's, we're trying to perform something, some type of thing we're trying to perform. And what, how can I lend my skills 
to helping you become a better performer, maximizing your human potential to see and meet your best self. And that's powerful. And that's not that's not a one-time type meeting thing. It's a continuous conversation that needs time and attention to where you try to work and figure that math out. Because life is a complex equation with many variables ever moving into that and moving out of that equation. And so we don't have to feel like we need to have it all figured out at one time. Because if we feel like we need to have something figured out at one time, what we will frequently do is engage in this process of avoidance, uh, procrastination, for feel, fear of failure. And I'm listening to people now talk about this whole concept of failure. And just what I can tell you is that when if people may frame it as failure, when I have met those challenges or had those uh, not so successful experiences, I've been able to walk away from that, realizing that those more challenging situations that I didn't necessarily win at afforded me the opportunity to have the greatest potential for learning and to making corrective actions. No, I couldn't agree more because I think one of the things I like to say is, you know, a lot of times when you're too, you know, worried about failure, you can kind of be paralyzed in your yeah. purpose. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is just, you're so worried to get out of your, your comfort zone that you just don't want to do anything because you're so worried about failure. But what I've just learned through just, you know, uh, my junior year and senior year, and just, I know in college, that failure is just a sign of growth. It doesn't mean that you're not capable of what you're doing. It just means that you don't know everything and you're gonna stumble sometimes. But in that stumbling, that's where there's room for growth and you know room for learning and learning about yourself and i think just to your point about you know counseling being you know a multiple day week month thing i think that's that's huge because i think what a lot of people you know come into therapy come into with the notion that this will all be solved in a day you know everything will be worked out in this 30 minute session when it's really a marathon like you're you're always going to you know come upon new struggles and just new thing, new barriers, new burdens. And the the whole point of life is just getting through those and working through how can I adjust myself to the problems at hand. And I think your points were just spot on about, you know, hearing people out, listening to them and seeing, okay, what can I do to adjust and overcome these barriers? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because at the end of the day, life is a hustle that is layered with multiple hassles that create a type of mental and emotional drain that can cause a state of inertia. When we accept that proposition, we then recognize every day ain't about success. Every day is about the opportunity to redefine your hustle, adjust your drive and mental and emotional muscle so that you can continue to discover the best essence of yourself 
not at just one time, but across time, so as to maximize your human potential. Now, I think that's just a wonderful statement, and I think a great way to end it off. Uh, again, thank you, Dr. Mount, for joining on to the podcast. I think you know everything you said just needed to be heard by you know me, and then I know all my listeners. And I just I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Oh, absolutely. And for all your listeners, if they want to go check out my website, it's www.mindbodyinstitutebeyond.com. www.mindbodyinstitutebeyond.com. Well, yes, and definitely viewers, uh, listeners, check out Dr. Mount's um, practice. I mean, I think. Clearly, he was able to, you know, share what he does and, you know, he's able to inspire his clients. So I, I think it's it's something that's a must for everyone. And yeah, if any, if any of your listeners are interested in the area of mental health and want particular training opportunities, they should feel free to reach out to us. And um, we would be glad to make that happen for them. And, um, you know, that's on our website and um, uh, our email address is M bio that's B I O M B I O P beyond that's B E Y O N D at gmail.com M B I O P beyond at gmail.com. All right, thank you, Dr. Mountain. Thank you to all my listeners out there. This is the next up podcast, and stay tuned for my new episode. Mm-hmm.